Looking for the truth? Pastor James Cadiz says, just open the word. God's word is true. Why argue with God's word? You know what I think? I think this is so, look, science is so cool and it's so important. And we are supposed to pursue the truth. And science is all about pursuing the truth if you're a truth seeker, right? But what kills me, what kills me about science is this. The books change every day, literally. Every other day, the books change. But the Bible never does. That peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is We're going through the Bible in about a month here on Light on the Hill. We hope you'll join the journey and see what God will do in your life as you do. In each of our studies, we'll go through four to six books at a time. That's a fast pace. But today we'll bring you Exodus and Leviticus. Here's Pastor James to begin. Moving on, as we get to the book of Exodus, this is a great book. By the way, we know that with respect to the book, Exodus talks about, or the theme of the book of Exodus, I guess, would be the deliverance of God. It shows the journey, or as we say it, the Exodus from Egypt to Israel. And there's a lot of things that go on in the book of Exodus. Namely, the book of Exodus starts off with the understanding that there was a Pharaoh who knew not God, right? Didn't know Joseph, really. Didn't understand his ways. And so that Pharaoh imprisoned and enslaved the Jews. And in doing so, the Jews grew quite uh, discontent with their situation. We know the story of, of Moses. We know that Moses, uh, without getting into great detail, was spared by the Lord. He ended up in the court of Pharaoh, even though he was a Jewish boy. And he was raised up by Pharaoh himself. You can hear the story by watching the Ten Commandments, of course. You know all about... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But you can read through the book of Exodus and learn about Moses, actually his life being spared and his mom making some very difficult decisions to try and spare his life to keep him from being killed. They put him sort of in a river and that river led over exactly to where the courtyard of the Pharaoh was. And of course... Um, we know that uh, Moses was then raised up and taken care of by the Pharaoh's uh, wife, the queen. And here's something kind of interesting. The queen needed to find somebody to nurse the baby. Now, here's something that a lot of people don't realize, and that's this. With all the babies being killed, now think about this too. This is kind of a, a gross picture when you picture it or when you think about it. Tons of babies were massacred. That's gross. It's, it's just, I, there's no other way to put it. Lots of babies were just completely massacred. And yet, here's the, the problem that, gets, that, that, that takes place from that. Lots of mothers are left without their babies, and they're still in a position to nurse their babies. No, a lot of people don't think about that, right? You have a baby, the baby goes away. As a mom, biologically speaking, physiologically speaking, you're still in a position to nurse your children. But if you don't have any children to nurse, there's a problem. So what was happening was the Egyptians during that time were actually hiring many of the Hebrew women to nurse their children because sometimes nursing children, especially when children are teething without getting into detail, can be very difficult, right? It's not the most, it's not the most comfortable thing to go through as a mom. 
right? And of course, praise God, I can't speak from experience. I just know that I hear that. And so what they did, what the Egyptians did is they would oftentimes go and they would hire these Hebrew women to nurse their babies. Now, that was the dilemma that, of course, the Pharaoh's wife had. Well, how do I nurse this baby, right? And so she hires a Hebrew woman. And who is that Hebrew woman to nurse the baby? Well, (laughs) the Hebrew woman to nurse that baby happens to be Moses's very mother. So it's interesting that God just has a way of putting the right things together with his grace and mercy. And we see once again, God's protection of this little baby, God raising this little baby up. And basically we learn the story of Moses being this remarkably articulate man who is gifted in every way and who can speak very clearly. And this man who who was just this young, powerful man who was raised up in the ways of Pharaoh and in the Pharaoh's courtyard. And the problem with Moses was that Moses was arrogant. You see, Moses was educated, he was gifted, he very likely knew many languages, he was one of these guys that had every bit of education you could think of, he even had lots of physical education, he was raised up as a prince, he was raised up as a future pharaoh, and so this was a guy who no doubt looked good physically, you know, had this chiseled body, you know, kind of like mine, and you know, just what, I'm just kidding, you know, just one of these guys that just, he was in great shape, he was smart, he was gifted, and definitely was a a natural-born leader, and of course we know why, because God made him that way. Now, he thinks, as he begins to develop a heart for his people, that he can be the one to deliver his people from slavery. And so he sort of gets himself in that mindset, and he chooses to do things his own way. He loses his mind at one point, because he sees a uh, slave master driving one of the Jewish slaves a little too hard, and he goes and he kills this guard. He kills him. And so buries him right in the sand as they do in Egypt, you know, and runs away because he knows now that he's in big trouble. And so this is great because God used him running away and losing his very uh, place of authority in the courtyard of Pharaoh to humble him. And the Bible says that he spent another 40 years in the desert until God completely broke him. And by the time God spoke to him, by the time God appeared to him in a bush, in a burning bush, Moses was stuttering. You know, that's what the Bible says. He goes from this remarkably articulate man to a guy who can't even finish a sentence. And God says, now I'm ready for you to go back and to deliver your people. And Moses is like, I can't talk, right? I mean, literally stuttering. He was so humbled during that 40-year a process in the wilderness. And yet God says, don't worry, I'll be your mouthpiece and you can use Aaron who will be your mouthpiece and he'll speak. He'll be the rep- my representative and you can send him down. And then of course, you know the story, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? And of course the Pharaoh would not do so. And there were lots of plagues that came upon the people, things like the river turning into blood and frogs and flies and fleas and all kinds of things. And it's interesting, God used every single one of those plagues to teach the Egyptians lots of lessons about their worship of false gods. Like, for example, one of the false gods that they loved to worship, believe it or not, were frogs. Did you guys know that? They worshiped frogs. And so when God gave them the plague of frogs, oh, you like frogs? Okay, you're going to get a bunch of them, right? There were thousands and hundreds and thousands and probably millions of frogs. So many frogs that they couldn't even walk around without stepping on one. They were so, there were so many of them. And what had happened was 
all the frogs died when Pharaoh said, call them off, call them off. So God killed the frogs off. But you know what the people did? The people, because they worshiped the frogs, a lot of people don't consider this point. Because they worshiped frogs, they would not burn them and they would not kill them and they would not make food out of them. So what they did was they put them in big heaps, right? And here's the thing that's really interesting. While the Pharaoh is resisting God, right? I believe that the flies laid their eggs in those heaps and from those heaps emerged this plague of these flies. And it was kind of interesting because the, the, I think the thing that is so cool when you consider that, and these, these are all things that I've, I've been dying to tell you guys for the last few months. The cool thing about the flies coming out and being a plague were flies were the very thing that they despised the most. They hated them. They were disgusting to them. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, the Egyptians actually had a practice of completely shaving themselves and only leaving a little strand of hair because they hated fleas, maggots, flies. They hated those things. They were an abomination to them. And I think what God was showing them was this, and it's such a cool lesson. Oh, you like to worship the frogs? Okay, you could have a bunch of them. And when they got sick of them, they still worshiped the frogs. And in the worship of their false god, the, the sin settled in and blossomed out into something that was disgusting to them. And it was God's way of saying, your worship of false gods is as disgusting, if not more disgusting to me, as how the flies are disgusting to you. And the flies, that disgust emerged from your worship of false gods. And that's such a powerful lesson. God continues to teach us about the nature of sin throughout all of these books. And it is heavy stuff. So, of course, we learn about all of this in Exodus. And then we know one of the most significant portions of the book of Exodus is when we hear about the very last plague that took place. And that is, of course, God sending the death angel to kill the firstborn. Now, What becomes very interesting about God sending the angel to kill the firstborn is that um, the angel comes into the picture. He's going to sweep down on one night and kill every single firstborn of everything. Now, that isn't just in Egypt. That's also in Goshen. That's where the Hebrews are. That's where the Jews are. And so God says, you've got to take a perfect lamb. It can't be one that's got pus on it, you know, that's all sick and ill or a messed up coat of, you know, hair or one that's got, you know, a broken leg or whatever. It has to be perfect. It has to be your best a flock. It's got to be one of your, your best piece of cattle. And you've got to take that lamb. You've got to kill it. You've got to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost of the house, right? And then there were certain things they had to do in terms of how to kill the lamb and so on and so forth. But the whole idea was anybody who was inside of a house where blood was sprinkled upon the doorpost, then you know what would happen? The death angel would fly over that house and nobody would die in that house. And that was a cool thing. So the idea was that all of the Jews did not lose any of their firstborn, but all of the Egyptians did because they did not make provision for themselves in keeping the death angel from coming. Now that taught the Jews a lot. One of the things that it really reminded them of is that the shedding of blood is the only thing that can cover your sin. The shedding of blood is the only thing that can give you victory over death. Now, why this becomes significant is for this reason, was because it was to show them of what was to come and to be an assurance to us. Because what happens is this, later on in Hebrews, the Bible would seem to point to us to say that, listen, the blood of Jesus Christ was sprinkled upon the doorpost of our heart so that the death angel would pass over. Isn't that cool? So 
we escape death because Jesus did it for us. And that's what this whole thing is called. That's why it's called Passover. That's why it's called the Passover feast. They celebrate the fact that the death angel passed over their house. And we get to celebrate the Passover because uh, the blood of Jesus Christ allowed death to pass over us. We are not going to hell because of the Lord. Isn't that great? It's awesome. So I'm thrilled with that. And so, of course, we can't forget the fact that the Lord delivers all of the Israelites, gets them out of the hair of the Egyptians. The Egyptians, of course, are really upset as Pharaoh, uh, you know, loosens them to go. And so the Egyptians pursue them. God kills them in the pursuit as they go through uh, the sea. And uh, kind of a, a really cool story that goes there. You might want to read about it. Lots of drama. Again, you know, just like Genesis, lots of great stuff. The uh, pursuing army died. You know what's really funny? Uh, somebody told me recently that the sea, what they call the Sea of Reeds, which is the sea that they had to pass through in the Sinai to, to go to the other side, right? Um, what's so interesting about what they say concerning this sea, the Red Sea is what they say. Um, the, what's uh, so interesting is a lot of scientists will tell you, well, the reason why they were able to pass through was because the water was roughly two inches tall and a great wind came and that wind was able to push the water away and all of the Israelites walked through and there was no problem. And when, when I, the last scientist that told me that was probably about 10 years ago and it got me excited as could be. I looked at him and I, and I, I mean, he was su- surprised that I was excited. I go, wow, that is an amazing development. That is so cool. So you say it was about two inches of water? Oh yeah, it was two inches. Wow, that's amazing amazing. That's even a bigger miracle than if it was a huge pile of water. Well, why is that? Why is it a bigger miracle? It's just science. It's a bigger miracle because that means God used two inches of water to destroy all of Pharaoh's army, you know? So either way you want to cut it, it's a miracle, right? I mean, that's the way I look at it. Look, guys, God's word is true. Why argue with God's word? You know what I think? I think this is so, look, science is so cool and it's so important. And we are supposed to pursue the truth. And science is all about pursuing the truth if you're a truth seeker, right? But what kills me, what kills me about science is this. The books change every day, literally. Every other day, the books change. But the Bible never does. You guys get it? God delivers Israel. And Israel now is on their journey from the Sinai into the promised land. Now, here's the sad thing. Here's the tragedy that we read about in the book of Exodus. The tragedy is not the people that died, although that is tragic. The tragedy is not about the babies that suffered persecution, although that's tragic. The tragedy is that to get from the Sinai to the promised land that God had put together. You ready for this? Walking journey. If they were walking with a big crowd as they were, with a big caravan, should have only taken them a week and a half. Um, No joke. Right now, we could easily get on a bicycle and go from where the Sinai is to where Israel is, and we can do that journey in about three hours. No joke. No joke. It blows my mind that although it should have taken a week and a half, it actually took them 40 years. Here's the reason why it took them 40 years. Because they make their journey all the way up. They start going north. And as they do, they get to pretty much the border where Sinai is and the border of Israel as we know it today. The southern border, of course, of Israel. 
And when they get there, they send spies. And anyone remember how many spies, to be specific? Yeah, that's right. Good, good, good. There were 10 that rebelled, right? Okay, so there were 12 spies, and all of them, with the exception of two, come back and go, oh my God, we're going to get our butts kicked. This is so bad. Look at these guys. They're giants. They're monsters. They're big old people. They're, you know, they're going to come and get us, and man, this is no good, and we made a bad decision. Let's go back to Egypt and eat onions. You know, I mean, that's pretty much what they said. This is bad. And two of the guys, okay, one guy by the name of Khalib, right, which in Hebrew means dog. In Arabic, we say kem, which means it means a dog, right? So there's Caleb, Khalib, and then there's Yeshua, okay, a guy named Joshua. And both of those spies say, oh, no, heck no, this is going to be great. We're going to go over there and we're going to beat them down. And it's going to be so easy to beat them. It's going to be like they're in a tank. And all we got to do is throw our spears at them. And God's going to just, they're going to be like, you know, right there. God's going to gather them. We're just going to beat them all up. And look at the size of these massive grapes. And look at the vegetation. Man, it's going to be great. And we're going to hang out. And it's, it's going to be, let's go. And Israel listens to the ten. And Israel starts freaking out. No, I'm so scared and I don't want to do this. And by the way, uh, let me just say this, guys. I'm going to teach you this so that you never forget it. If God puts you in a place of leadership in any way, whether it be your home, whether it be you know, at your school, whether it be at your job, I'm going to make very clear one very important view. The road to leadership is a very lonely one. I've learned that very quickly as a pastor and then as a senior pastor. You make decisions about things and you see things in people that nobody else sees. And oftentimes when you address those things, it becomes very lonely for you as a leader because you go against the flow. When the flow wants to do one thing, you choose to do another. And in choosing to do another, what ends up happening eventually is that people rebel because they do not have the God-given faith that you do as a leader. And my encouragement to you is do not fall to the pressures of your peers. Go against the flow and do that which you know God has called you to do. By the way, let me just say this. If I did not do what I know God has called me to do, nobody would be here tonight. This place would still be a a warehouse with old cars in it. The place next door would be a telecommunications center where you know you had 50 people in there making phone calls you know selling all kinds of stuff and instead god has completely changed the face of this city and of this place and eventually in many ways the world around us you guys know that our website actually reaches hundreds of thousands of people a month and here's the interesting thing about what the 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 numbers of our website statistically speaking we the last number we heard was it something like 20 countries are listening to us And most of those countries are in the Middle East. Isn't it wonderful? It's it's amazing. God is doing a great work. And here's the cool thing about the responsibility God has given me. As I lead you, I want you to see that example in me. And then I want you to be leaders in the same way. And to stand up when the crowd starts murmuring and saying, This is so scary. Why is he doing this? I want you to stand up and go, No. God is in this. Let's move forward. The grapes are huge and the, the food is awesome and, the, and we're gonna, God's going to deliver them to us and we're going to take this town because when you become that way, you open up the door for God's blessing. Because of the murmurers that wanted to abandon their post and because of the spies that wanted to go away, almost all of that generation died 
They never got to see the promised land because they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God said it. He said, you're going to wander. And that time in the wilderness was difficult for them. Now, we get then to the book of Leviticus. Now, let me just say this. When we get to the book of Leviticus, what Leviticus tells us, and kind of the the idea is, it's the, the, the book of, I guess for lack of a better term, the book of holiness, the book of the law in many ways. Um, Leviticus, when you read through the book of Leviticus, and I don't have to spend a whole lot of time in this book, but I will just simply say this, Leviticus is the go-to place, the absolute go-to place for what? It's the go-to place for the stories of the rules that God has set forth to his people. Oh, let me back up, by the way. I just want to say one thing about Exodus. Exodus is also where we see the introduction of the commandments of God, okay? Where God lays out his commandments, and, and this is kind of another place where we see this pattern of the people of Israel rebelling and not wanting the God's commandments and God's word, and God judges them and deals with them, and you'll see story after story after story of that. And then when we get into the, the third book of Moses, which everybody refers to as Leviticus, then the, the idea here is that the specific laws that God introduces to his people are brought to us. That's why we call it the Levitical law, right? And this is where we learn about the way you're supposed to sacrifice, what exactly you're supposed to do to the animals, what the sacrifices are for. And a lot of people blow past the book of Leviticus. And I will tell you why that is a huge mistake if you do that. If you have not, go through my series on Leviticus online. But I'll tell you why it would be a huge mistake if you blow away Leviticus or you blow past Leviticus. There's several reasons. Number one, Leviticus will give you insight as into the consequences of sin and how God deals with those sins, number one. Number two, Leviticus is a book that will teach you how to avoid lots of pain and suffering because all of the laws that God puts together were laws that were designed to protect mankind, okay? Number three, what Leviticus does is it provides an outline concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Leviticus is the very book that establishes the law of God that Jesus himself had to obey every single jot and tittle, every single word. And Leviticus gives us an understanding of why it's important to obey that law. Which, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of people will say that the Old Testament law is so much harder than what the things that we learn in the New Testament, what the New Testament teaches us. And I would venture that it's the exact opposite. The New Testament is a much more difficult law and a much more difficult covenant than the Old Testament. Why? Well, because the Old Testament tells me I'm not supposed to kill anybody. Well, that's easy. You know, I don't, I'm not going to kill anybody. I haven't killed anybody yet. I'm not going to. Don't plan on it, right? Hope I never kill anybody, okay? Hope I never have to. But the Bible says in the New Testament that I have clearly already killed somebody. I killed a couple of people today in the mind of God. Because when you become angry with somebody, you've killed them. God just threw a case at you, <laughs> a murder case. That's why the law of God in the New Testament tends to be much more difficult than the law that we see in the Old Testament. Now, then how can we keep that law? Well, you keep that law because Jesus Christ keeps it for you. And that's why it's so easy in one sense, although it's so much more difficult, is because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that gives us the strength to obey the laws of God. And the laws of God are important in this book. They are critical in this book. Very, very, very important. 
Thanks for listening to Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. We're currently going through the Bible at a rapid pace. There are 16 messages in this series, and you can access all of them at lightonthehillradio.com or through the Light on the Hill app and podcast. Pastor James, some may be wondering, do these prohibitions or laws in Leviticus apply to New Testament believers today? Well, this is an interesting question, Jane, because the answer to that is yes and no. They don't apply with respect to the ceremonial law, but you have to understand that the Levitical law is the authority by which Christ was able to stand as the propitiation for us. In other words, we get credit for living God's law perfectly, not because we actually live the law of God perfectly, but because Christ lived the law of God perfectly. We get credit for his perfect life that he lived, and of course, that's why the law becomes very valuable. That's very helpful. Thanks, Pastor James. One of the highlights of our day is when we hear from our listeners. It's an opportunity to thank the Lord for what he's doing. Share your story with us. You can contact us through our website at lightonthehillradio.com. If God is leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, we would be so grateful. Donations can be made at lightonthehillradio.com or through the Light on the Hill app. Pastor James publishes daily videos that you can access at jamescadiz.com. Watch his live show, latest video blog, and prophecy updates on Countdown to Eternity, all in one location, jamescadiz.com. He also writes devotionals that you can access on the site anytime. Come back next time as we continue through the Bible here on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is